Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Welcome to beautiful sunny San Diego. It's the Material Devolution Podcast. Pleasure to have you here with us again. Me and my co-host Matt Walter. Matt, how are you doing today? I am excellent. I am stoked to be here. We have another awesome topic and I am ready to get down and devolve this uh, completely. I'm ready to rock as well, Matt. You know, we took a much needed rest last weekend, uh, had some fun. There was a wonderful music festival in San Diego, the Crossed Fest, so we figured we'd take a break, but now we're back and we're here with some interesting discussions to have, so uh, I'm just going to launch into it and uh, talk about the article a little, and then I'm going to ask you some questions, Matt, because I want to know your take on this as always. So, uh, you know, I saw this article in Guernica, it's an interesting online uh, publication from Robert Reich, and even though Robert Reich, a lot of what he does is very politically implied, uh, I wanted to analyze a little different aspect of what he wrote about. He wrote an article called The Eye Everything and the Redistributional, Redistributional, Redistributional Imperative. That's a tough one for me. I was, I was practicing my words before, and that one's a slippery one. And it's an interesting article because he's talking about that technologies aren't just replacing labor, they're replacing knowledge. And I just want to quote from the article, and then I'm going to ask you a few things, Matt. So uh, from the, the beginning of the article, you know, he talks about reduction in jobs in certain industries, and then in the middle, this is the part I'm going to quote. Imagine a small box, let's call it an eye everything, capable of producing everything you could possibly desire, a modern day Aladdin's lamp. You simply tell it what you want and presto, the object of your desire arrives at your feet. The eye everything also does whatever you want, it gives you a massage, fetches you your slippers, does your laundry, and folds and irons it. The eye everything will be the best machine ever invented. The only problem is no one will ever be able to buy it. That's because no one will have any means of earning money since the I everything will do it all. So this is where I'm just going to cut off and, and get into the, uh, you know, the, the thoughts I was having from reading this article because there was a lot going on with this article, but what was resonating with me was the technological standpoint of it because we do seem to be moving in this direction where it's almost impossible to stop the progression of technology to get more efficient. And so it's only natural it's going to replace the workforce in so many areas. But as it's expanding from certain small areas like computers into larger areas like sales, what does that mean for the populace and how are we going to adapt? What do you think about this, Matt? Like, What can we do in the face of this ever-improving computerized efficiency replacing our jobs? Wow. That is a, that is a, that is a hard-hitting article right there when it really talks about the future of the human race really and, and society as we know it and and it's very very interesting because you know you go and there's actually uh the week um the the website and the the, the magazine cited the ai experts who say that fit, there's a 50 percent chance of computers um with uh, human intelligence uh by 2050 and so that's a 50% chance that in the next 35 years, there's going to be artificial intelligence with actual human intelligence. So we might actually be faster approaching that solution 
the technological solution to more of our problems and creating more efficiency and more or less dependence on human interaction with things um, than we even could imagine. I mean, the eye, everything. Could you, I mean, could you imagine that type of thing? I mean, we already live in an instant gratification type of world. So imagine the types of things that people wouldn't even leave their house. They'd just be wishing in this box or everything and then freaking under the sun. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's true. It's interesting the direction it's going just because as we start to like get to that level where we can literally have one object like the, the iPhone right now. It's amazing how much this phone does for us, right? Like it's so much from like the Google Maps to paying for but things. But here's the thing, and here's what you asked. Does it replace, is it going to replace knowledge, right? Well, it's almost like, is it not going to replace knowledge, but like, is it going to replace our need to get knowledge from different sources? You know, like before, you were almost forced to search things out. Like, you know, you wanted to find something out. We've talked about this before. You wanted to learn something, it was almost tough. You'd have to go to the library. You'd have to maybe like go to a special club and talk to certain people. You'd have to phone them up. Now everything's kind of like archived, indexed, and data sourced in the internet. And that's, I think, its biggest valuable asset is that there's this wealth of information at our fingertips that we can access at any times. But it's very overwhelming the amount of information there is. But to get back on point though, with the eye everything doing everything for us, is this the direction we're going where we're just trying to live a life where nobody does any work? We've got computerized AI doing everything for us and we all just live a life of luxury well, where everything's done for us at the push of a button? Is that really where we want to go? It seems kind of like a weird direction because we love we love comfort, but we also know that you only get the pleasure of comfort for the endurance and the struggle to earn it. So if you completely replace it with just nothing but comfort, then does that make us complacent? Like, what does that say about us? Well, it's a conundrum, right? Because businesses are in place to provide solutions to problems or, or a alleviation of a need or a want, right? And so that's what we do. And so by doing that and moving towards that and doing more and providing more solutions, we're actually taking ourselves out of that equation at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? Is that like, because we're, we're creating things that are more efficient and we're, we're producing things more efficiently, uh, just like you said, there's no need for that human involvement in the manufacturing process. And so now there can't be that mass production, mass consumption because the consumers aren't participating in the production to make money to consume more. And so we're actually creating this problem and we see it nowadays with the way that things are, are, are going as far as, especially in the automobile industry and mm -hmm. things like that where their you know, automation is, is key. And the reason why we can buy cars for as cheap as they are, I mean like we always talk about the fact that you know, all cars are really expensive. Are, aren't, think are, about for what you get. Aren't you, aren't you happy though too? Aren't you glad that the car you bought is built by some insane high-level technology instead of like a, a working assembly line where maybe the guys built 40,000 of yes, them for and, any, and he's hung over from yesterday and he's got four kids at home. For any repetitive work right now, automation is valuable to the nth degree. It's true. It, it gets really interesting though because like you said, the business's job is ultimately to provide an alleviation for a need or requirement. It doesn't really serve any other purpose than that. Its goal is to make money 
And its area to achieve that is by providing that good or that service. So it's always been reliant on this economic model where you had workers pyramiding up to the top. That's changed now where even to the degree where when you do need mass production that requires manual labor, like let's say iPhones for example, they're going to go to China to do it because it's much cheaper. It's not illegal. So if they don't do that, then they're giving their competitors the opportunity to overcome them in that field and they risk losing that market share. It could compromise their entire business. It's almost like the economic model forces them to do the thing that is immoral and unethical. It's just not illegal. But what choice do they have? If they don't take that action, you kind of open up this possibility of being overtaken by somebody who is willing to go that far. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how do we like formulate that type of ethics and morals in business where, you know, people aren't going to always cut the extra corner just because you legally can, but ethically you shouldn't? Well, I think you have to look at it in a different way. I think, unfortunately, business is shifting from, um, you know, the when we had manufacturing where it had human interaction to now the creation process is where the human interaction takes place. So there's more people on the creation, on the development and research side in order to implement these factories and these um, lines that create uh, these 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 products, the actual manufacturing process. So there's more people that set up the lines, that develop the machinery, that create the technology that that actually does put these bolts together and these cars together, or these um, you know circuit boards together, or whatever it is. So we have to step back and we have to think there's been a shift from the actual doing to the actual thinking. You know what I'm saying? So machines should work, people should think. I agree. It's just. To what degree can the engineering and software development fields grow to replace these other fields? Because that is where it's going. There does need to be a shift. I mean, we can't go into this mindset of, woe is me, you know, we're losing jobs to computers. There's nothing we can do about it. Humans have always adapted, and I feel like we will adapt. The question is, what's the best way we can, well, it, right? I, I and, think the other thing that this article really talks about, too, is the fact that you know, these jobs are slipping away. Um, and there's, and, and the things that the, the businesses also that are, that are out there now that are, that are valued at these billions of dollars don't really make anything. And there's a, a small amount of people who affect a large amount of people and make a lot of money. So also the same thing goes is that the, um, the wealth is being concentrated with a smaller group of people as well because as companies streamline and become more efficient and run more optimally, uh, they do have less people. Mm -hmm. And so now the revenues and the, uh, the rewards uh, of doing a good job and providing a good service go to less and less people as well. So, you know, there's, there's a huge number of things caught in this web of technology moving us forward and alleviating some of the little nagging problems that we used to not have. And like you touched on before, creating products that are more reliable and, you know, a, a, a better experience. I mean, there's always going to be a trade-off and the improvement in technology right now, it's unstoppable. I don't think it's sustainable. You know, I don't think like uh, the law that it keeps doubling is infinitely infallible. I don't think we've mastered you know, neurotechnology to that degree yet, molecular technology, nanotechnology, but 
technology is going to keep improving, so we just have to adapt with it. And whether it's you know solar energy or light rail or any type of new technology, I feel like that's where we need to be embracing and investing. If you look back historically, which is great to do because if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. I know it's an annoying saying, mm -hmm. but it really is true. And in the 1930s, after the Great Depression, a big thing was the creation of the Public Works Administration Department. And what did they do? It was, you know, it was a big division of the government. It was federally funded. But the goal was to invest in America. So we started doing things like creating highways and schools and hospitals and airports and playgrounds, restoring theaters, investing in public works acts like murals and plays and just doing what we could to build the infrastructure of this country. I feel like if we were looking to innovate, whether, like I said, solar technology, light rail, and how we can just start investing in getting those technologies here in America, you know, we can really lay the foundation for our future because that's where the jobs will be. We'll be maintaining these new divisions, these new industries, whether it's transportation, technology, communication. So I think that's a big way to go. It just becomes very touchy when something's like a federal project to well, do we that, need right? to focus on the wielding of this technology. So the fact of the matter is, is that if, if, it, if the technology is coming and it is going to replace us to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. to, what, to what that extent is, we really don't know. I mean, it could be, I mean... And what, and what, what like perspective are you talking? Are you talking like 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, like our lifetimes? Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk in terms of like by the end of the century, right? Let's say by the end, like by twenty one hundred. Okay, so we're, we're probably not going to be alive then. We won't be alive. Probably but not. The, the technology, technology could get there where maybe we'd be like you know hopped but, up and. But like I just said, is that like there, there's AI experts who say there's a fifty percent chance of a computer with human intelligence by twenty fifty. So we would be alive during that. But what I'm what I was getting at is that you know you have um, to what extent. We don't know how it's going to influence or take over all of jobs. You know, they're talking about sales jobs going away. They're talking about, uh, I mean, obviously, advertising jobs are already starting to, to go by the wayside. Yeah, I um, think the article I referenced, it was like scary because it said the ones most affected were going to be customer service, IT, accounting, finance, assembly, production, shipping, distribution, and sales. So, like, what does that leave? What, what, what does that leave, right? But and, see, and sales somebody has to too. maintain these systems. So we have to have a shift, and this is what I was getting at. We have to have a shift from educating um, people on, you know, these these tasks of the actual doing and the practicality to the maintaining and the creation and the theory behind the way that these work, so that we can have an understanding of how to manage this technology as we move forward. But it almost becomes like an unstoppable fallacy because. You can only adapt so much. Like, look at look at something that we all probably enjoy and benefit greatly from an internet superstore, Amazon.com. Almost everybody's used it. They, you know, they love the availability of everything, how great it is, all these things. Everything's automated, by the way. Every, I have people that deal with them, everything's automated, there, and they can't even get a person on the phone. Everything's so, automated from there. That's that customer yeah. service. I mean, that's I think where we see it the most these days, as far as technology overtaking. But if you saw their sixty minutes, this is where and it logistics. Got, it gets really logistics because everything in their fulfillment is pretty much automated. They've got right. computers and robots picking up everything because it's more efficient. There's no risk of employee injury. And delivery. They never get tired. They can work 24 hours a day. So they've got these insane robots that are basically like moving forklifts. And there's hundreds of robots moving around these giant warehouses packing everything. And it's been proven that Amazon's model 
reduces jobs. It just does. It, it's impossible. Those robots can do the jobs of multiple people. It's just a fact. So if we accept that as a fact, I want to ask you, do you feel like these like titans of industry, like Walmart, like Amazon, where the economic model is basically built for somebody like them to become a monolith, do they have any type of social responsibility? Like, like what, what's their role in this? Because it's almost not their fault for becoming so ascendantly powerful because they're just playing the game that they were given the rules to play. So at what point, though, do they have to like acknowledge that they're just becoming so dominantly powerful, it's really affecting the infrastructure of the entire economy? That's what's crazy to me. Man. That's a tough one, right? Because like you said, I mean, I'm a businessman. I work in business, you know, and I see deficiencies and places where that type of model and that type of use of technology, like you said, I mean, I was envisioning when you were talking about these forklifts moving around uh, with some GPS, you know, system, um, targeting them to certain areas and picking up uh, boxes and moving them over to other assembly lines, dropping them off or somebody else is wrapping them up and labeling them. And these are all these, these uh, robots doing this. And I was thinking to myself, wow, like how awesome is that? What a great, great business model to have and to have the capital to be able to implement those type of technologies and to have those systems run so efficiently. And then like you said, but there's a human cost to this. There's no doubt about it. But can you really knock them for doing that? I don't think you can knock them. I, I, I don't think so either because here's why. This is what I find funny because the same people that would be boycotting and picketing outside of Walmart when they move into a town like uh, you know um, Ohio somewhere or whatever and they're, they're picketing them and they're, they're mad because they're shutting down all their, their stores on Main Street. The next day when they open up, they're freaking shopping there. You know, it's almost, it's, you're almost like economically forced to adapt. And there was a great South Park episode where they made fun of Walmart, where like they burned the Walmart down in the end because, you know, Walmart's been destroying their small businesses. And then the small business that it destroyed, it just becomes this huge monolith that's just as big as Walmart right, takes over town. Right. And then they have to burn that down. So that's the argument. Not, if it's not one, it's going to be somebody else, right? It's just like you said about moving stuff over to China. I mean, like, you have to do it to compete. So where do you draw that line between the good of the common of, of, of your fellow man and, and making sure that you're doing right by them and also running an efficient business that's competitive within the environment that you compete? I think it just reflects that with like modern technology, it's more and more difficult to regulate like ethics and morality. Well, you, you know, can't. know what I mean? I mean you can't, you can't regulate it. It's supposed to something that's be like socially implied inherent. and inherent, but in this modern industry, people have to make these moves. Like I talked about, if you don't make that adjustment, the other guy does, and it could really put your whole business at risk. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going on too. I mean, another thing I wanted to ask you about is that like, you know, the two fields that seem to be almost impervious to being replaced have always been education and healthcare. You've always, right? It always seemed that way. You always needed nurses and doctors, and you always needed teachers. Well, now we've had this explosion of like there's online colleges, there's all these new automated learning systems with computers, and you almost can't even argue with it. Like teachers are great, working with other students are great, but I've seen some specials on some of these courses they're developing and like how they built the software for Rosetta Stone. 
and it's difficult to argue with the efficiency of it as a direct learning system. And then on the healthcare side, they've got machines developed now where they can do with the job that a nurse used to do with taking your temperature and say, ah, and this and that. They can do it a hundred times more efficiently and tell you a hundred times more information at a fraction of the cost. So what can we do to save healthcare and education from falling into this vacuum? Well, that's really interesting, and I'm actually glad that you asked me that because one of the articles I read when we were when we started talking about this topic and, and moving forward was um, this November 17th uh, article from the Harvard Business Review, and it's uh, that AI can't replace hard-earned knowledge yet. 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 Hmm. But they said they, they they talked about Watson. You remember him from Jeopardy? Yeah, like, like, he just like crushed everybody. You know? <laughs> Watson the computer, Watson the super computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. It was like you know, and then some of his. But remember, some of his answers were like way off the wall. Like he would like he answer it, but like because of like the way that he aggregated data, it's almost like how good's the algorithm, right? Because all it is is an algorithm searching for data based on how questions are phrased. Exactly, exactly. You but know? here's what. So here's what he was doing now for. But now he's turned his sights towards helping medical professionals cure Watson yes Watson this guy Watson the computer I'm sorry the guy because he thinks like a human he can play Jeopardy so like, <laughs> I actually talked about him like, you're talking about him as a person so I was just like oh, my goodness nah. we're an iRobot or some shit yeah um so Watson yeah so anyway he's turned his sights basically they IBM has turned him towards medical uh solutions and um one of the things they said is like what kind of oncologist could read 600,000 medical evidence, you know, uh, uh, pages of medical evidence and 2 million journal pages, much less remember them all. So like what he, this is what this Watson's doing is that there, he's actually has this data in there and he can list treatments and then provide a, uh, a, a, a schedule, I guess, of your levels of confidence. So like, I guess green being like more confident, yellow being less confident on ways to actually treat these conditions that they can plug into him and then he can get all this data together, compile it and give, you know, the amazing. solution. Amazing, 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 unbelievable. But one of the things that the article said was that, and this is a quote, it remains necessary for human uh, use of past experience uh, to make the final decision and to put into context these type of things and to actually go back and, 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 and talk to the patient. So there is still a level of human communication and human involvement and human um, decision-making and discernment that needs to take place. You can't just blanketly take the, the data and then use it practically. So there is still that interface between what we always call book smarts and street smarts. And that's where the human interaction takes place and it's still like that for technology you know it seems like hearing you talk about this and that that's a fascinating article it just makes me think that where we need to go having this discussion is we all need to become technicians yes no matter what it is whether it's a you know a computer technician or a medical technician or a transportation technician or a plumbing technician you've got to master some type of system of technical knowledge because everything's getting more and more technical. Everything's going to be controlled by some sort of advanced technology. And our skill sets are going to have to become very knowledge-based in mastering these systems. It can't be anymore in these service positions. Because every service level position is being automated. It's being replaced. We can get human interaction in our personal lives. We don't need to get it in our professional lives anymore, it seems. Well, yeah. It's kind of like we have to be 
the puppet master, right? Like we have to be able to wield and implement these systems and these technologies and use them. And so we have to be either be the creator or the master. And that's where our shift needs to, to be as far as the, even the jobs growth and, and, and where we can grow is how can, and not only that, how can we integrate these more efficient systems to provide a better solution for humanity. That is where it needs to go, ultimately. How can we use these systems, integrate these systems together, this technology as it grows, and areas which we used to think were isolated and impenetrable, how can we connect those systems together with other systems that we of that we thought of the same in order to provide a new and better and more comprehensive solution to whatever worldwide problem that we have it's a daunting task it's daunting as but technology is alleviating a lot of these things i mean we're having better logistics for example you know they always talk about the fact that we don't have a real food shortage problem. We have a delivery problem. We can't get food or water to the places that need it. It's not that we have a shortage of it. We just need to get it there. So maybe there is an, there is an interconnection between these problems. There, there definitely yeah. is, right? Mm -hmm. If we had better developed infrastructure in this country, if we had a light rail system, better transportation, now food deliverability, now energy sufficiency, mm -hmm. now, you know, uh, limits of movement, things that have just restricted us historically, well, they're, all, they're also interconnected. So I think, I think you really are spot on that this is where things are going and we just have to embrace it. We have to all get on board. And it's really, really tough to do in a very divisive time because it's, it's very, very, I think, daunting, like I was saying, that we see that this is happening. Technology is replacing our jobs. But it's going to happen no matter what we do about it. So we need to learn to adapt. Ultimately, that's what we do. That's what people are. Got to stay ahead of the curve. We got to we got to evolve with it. So, you know, uh, an interesting thing that I'd found too was that the technology always needs to be refined. So just because it's been implemented doesn't mean it's been perfected. And they said that 35% of companies that had eliminated workers in favor of technology, they ended up hiring people back because the technology didn't work out. So there's a trial and error process too. Things can always be refined, they can always be re improved, and they can always be revolutionized. Like these technologies didn't exist before, so these fields didn't exist. So, you know, we're also creating new jobs in new areas that never had existed before in telecommunications. So we need to see how far down the rabbit hole we can go with these technologies, you know, because it really is just going to bring us closer together, I think. Well, yeah, and I don't think that there's going to be like these sweeping overhauls of all of these industries at one time you know there's going to be an interface between humans and technology for quite some time that continues and it may be more um interactive uh if you would use a word that you know so that people um are using it better and smarter and, and things like that but it, there's not going to be these sweeping changes like i said like there has to still be this human um, connection and this human uh, deep thought process that has to be put towards this data that is collected, whether it's scraped with a very, very complicated algorithm or if it's even more shallow than that and just provided to you through um, the internet or however you get it, Wikipedia or whatever. But there still has to be a time where it's taken in 
critically thought about in some way, shape, or form that's non-bound by constraints. Because that's the thing with technology is that it's still bound, right? Even though it can learn, we say it can learn, Watson can learn by, it, it, pick, it teaches itself by, you know. It's not Skynet. Right, it's not learning in a sense that humans learn. Like there's not five senses of learning. There's not uh, immersement of, uh, you know, immersion of, uh, of itself into a experience. So we can't say that this technology can learn like humans or ever possibly could because there is going to be always a construct that is created, mathematical in nature, we know this, that is going to have to start from. So there's going to be properties in which it has to hold true to. And it's the also the fallacy of a box, so yeah, to speak. It's a fallacy of coming through the looking glass too, because it's like we only see ourselves as others see us. Well, we can only teach a machine to learn as we are, see ourselves learning, and there might be intangibles in how we learn that we can't ever reflect in something we can build. You well, know, we don't even understand consciousness truly. So how could we ever? take our consciousness and supplant it into a technology. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like literally we're taking our in interpretation of the idea of consciousness and building that. So we're not even building something we know of. We're building our interpretation of something we think we might know something about. So it's an interesting way of pushing things down that rabbit hole. I mean, AI is a very, very, uh, you know, overwhelming endeavor to get into. And it's funny that people think that it's very, very tangible. Do you think that's something that we can ever like truly reach? I personally feel like you know it's an endless strife like people want to hit this point where they feel like a computer could just take over the world's problems but like you said we have to teach the computer how to think so you know we're basically teaching the computer how to solve the problems we we're, we're, we're always playing that role in the process we can't ever have some machine that's going to solve our problems for us because we have to build the machine teach the machine design the machine you know we're ultimately the ones driving the process i guess what you're saying is like can we teach a machine to teach itself truly in all ways it's a, that's just i mean i that and but should we even should we even be trying to do that you no. know what i mean like like i said we kind of want to have this thing with the i everything to tie it back to the end yeah. you know like we want this one thing to do everything for us where like i love my iphone i don't need it to do more i barely use it for 50 thousand of the things it does. I use yeah. it for the maps, the email, the messaging, the phone. So I think it's all, funny when somebody's like, oh, you have that phone? It's, like. co it's cool. It's, it's so cool, though, that it could do all these other things. Like, you can't take away. It's so amazing well, that people neat. have innovated this and that it can do all these things. I'm not watching movies on my phone. I always find it interesting when I see people walking and watching, like, a movie on their phone. And they're like, yeah, I got the, I got the Samsung with the two speakers. <laughs> like, oh, hey, it's, it's, it's 1.9 inches vertical. <laughs> Yeah, I know all about 1.9 inches, but that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> different podcast, different podcast. Moving on, know. artificial intelligence, AI, will it rule the world? Yeah, so I mean, for, for me, I didn't think, personally, I haven't thought about it for a while, that we'll ever get in that direction, or we should, you know? There should be a limit on where we want to take things. I know these think tanks, they love that idea of having, you know, machines to solve all our problems, and I think we should... Look for technologies that are more in tune with our nature. I mean, I think it was like Heibel and Heidegger, who were great uh, technological philosophers, and they talked about something like the windmill. You know, it's a technology that works with nature instead of against it. It takes nothing from it. It works with the power of the wind. 
it doesn't destroy anything. So it, it's in perfect symbiosis with the world. And because of that, it's flawless in design. You know, it operates at maximum efficiency. It takes nothing away. Whereas when you have a system like nuclear power or oil, as great as they are and, and the power they give us, they do take something away. There is a retrograde effect that we're pulling something out of the earth when we're burning it. There's a, a, a course after effect that's bad for the environment. These are just provable facts. So we just need to kind of move in these directions and look for technologies that work symbiotically with our societies and with nature. You know what I'm saying, Matt? I hear you. And you know what you were talking about? To get back to the Walmarts and the Amazons and the automation and the le and, and the job destruction that's created by that automation and that efficiency. You know, I thought it would always be interesting if we found a way, and this is the terrible word, people are going to be like, oh my God, you're a socialist. But if there was literally a way to profit share by these big corporations. Sharing socialism. Sharing socialism. It's like redistribution of wealth under a different word. Hey, re redistribution is just like a, a smarty pants word for sharing. Yeah, for sharing. Right, exactly. a grown-up word for sharing. But listen, but here's what I was getting at, right? So you were saying, okay, we're worried about the elimination of these jobs and people not having money to be able to um, afford goods that are manufactured by robots, right? And I mean, also, the people who lose the jobs, they aren't technically trained to take over the new jobs because, you know, they used to be in retail, they lose their job. And now they're supposed to be a software technician. Right. Where's the educational right. infrastructure right. to transition them to that new role? So it's a right. twofold problem, right? Right. But here, so here's what I was getting at. So, I mean, you get these things where there was a, some sort of profit sharing program going on between businesses that got some sort of conglomeration together. And they either funded new innovation and new technology and spurred growth in other vertical markets, right? That where they kind of cooperated and did this. Or it was... Um, you know, really was more of creating more infrastructure within the communities that they uh, operate um, in order to offset that disparity based on the technology that they implemented and the kind of destruction that they kind of ran roughshod over. Instead of instead of taking the wealth and and and, and hoarding it and keeping it isolated in a select few group of people. And I know that it sounds like, you know, it does sound like socialism. It sounds like this and that, but really I call it humanitarianism. I mean, really what it would be is like everybody working for the betterment of society and for the betterment of the human race around the world uh, and creating better places of work and, and, and live and places to live and things like that. Um, with this with this money instead of you know instead of instead of buying monster yachts i guess i i don't know i mean i wouldn't say that i don't think it's bad for people to be rewarded for the work that they do and the thoughts that they have that create these these institutions that develop this revenue and do these things i think that's a great thing and people should be rewarded for it i just think that there is also a way and especially as technology takes some of these jobs away in order to realign ourselves and see the world and what our goals are in a different light. It's about perspective for me and I, I can't help but agree with you in a lot of points you make because we need to just look back at where we are to what got us here and I'm just like you, you know, 
everyone needs to be rewarded for what they do and how, how much work they put in and how hard they work at it. You can't just say everyone's equal when somebody's working 10 times as hard as somebody else at a job that's no, incredibly important. No, and some people important. are freaking brilliant, man, and they should be rewarded for their brilliance. Of course. There's no doubt about but it. But you have to put perspective into play just that you're only able to make that mass amount of money and be so successful because of the billions of other people that came before you and that still exist and that work together to make the infrastructure of this world. It's always working together that allows this system to be in place for you to be successful in the system. Without the system, you can't be successful because you're relying on the existence of the system right. to be successful. You're, you, you're utilizing it. So I don't really want to take away from your success. I just want to see how we can make your success more shared so we lower the amount of class jealousy. Well, then wouldn't it ultimately end in everybody being more successful? It would. I mean, I think people have a big problem with this idea. It'll elevate everybody's quality of life. I think the big threat is putting a limit on success. And for me, it's a pertainable idea, but I do see where it's a slippery slope because if you want to play this little little game, you can say, you know, is there any play... Is there any approach that doesn't get labeled as socialism when you're trying to limit or restrict the ability of people to earn success? You know, because like if somebody could only earn a billion dollars and you cap them at a billion dollars, would people be any less incentivized to want to be worth a billion dollars? Like, would you be like, no, I can only want <laughs> one billion. I don't want to be a billionaire. I'm never going to be Bill Gates. It would suck to only have four private planes. You'd still be pretty incentivized. And would the quality of life of the billionaire go down any? Not really. Maybe you could only own one football team. You could only own Manchester United instead of like also Man City, like something like that. So, but that, then it becomes that slippery slope where somebody goes, okay, so now you want to put it at a billion. Okay. Barcelona. Well, okay. Oh, Classico, well, go Barca. Yeah, go, go Barca. What if it goes to, okay, 100 million? Because you know, we can live on 100. Well, now 10. So I do see where it is a slippery slope. I really do. And that's the game it, be, it plays, you know, because we're almost reliant now on people. We're reliant on the super wealthy to feel so guilty about how obscene it is for them to have so much money that they all ultimately join Warren Buffett's giving charity and give away all their money when they die, which is almost like they feel guilty that they earned it in the first place. Yeah, and that's not the goal. I want people to feel good about the money that, they, that they've that they earned and by finding ways to improve your surroundings but that's the, fa the place that you inhabit. It's right? the fallacy of the system though, and Jay-Z said it best. He was like, you know what? Yeah. I, I, you know, you know, you love to quote Jiggerman, and I, I don't know the exact quote. I'm sure you could probably tell me. I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, yo, you know, it's better to, you know, it's better to cheat the game and come back rich, and you can give back than than stay broke. Like I, I, I can give back more if I get rich and give back, than if I stay broke. But because you play that game, we're relying on the few to become rich to feel guilty enough to give back. When we should be cultivating a system where we're not relying on charity. Charity is something that's done because it's something extra on top. We're not relying on it. It's just something that pushes the boundaries of success for all of us even further. So how do we use and implement technology and the way that it's going and the efficiency it's creating to create that type of environment that we just talked about? It's going to be difficult. I think as we are more interconnected. Do you think it'll help or do you think it'll hurt it? It could go both ways because, 
you know, there's this conundrum with technology, like, you know, it improves our lives in so many ways and it takes us away. It connects us more and it withdraws us more. So there's that, there's part of me, you know, the angel on my shoulder is like, you know, this is going to show us each other more, that we're all the same, that we should roll in this together. We all want each other to be successful. You know, I might have a rich neighbor and a poor neighbor. I want them both to be richer than me. You know what I mean? Like, I want everybody to do well. So that's the, the angel on my shoulder. The devil on my shoulder is like, no, this is going to make people more withdrawn. They're not actually speaking to people in person as much. They're interacting with people less as much in person. They're more disconnected. So as they have less of a real personal, real connection with each other, that's going to reflect in how they feel about each other and wanting each other to do well. So there's kind of this little like angel devil scenario playing out on my shoulder that happens in a lot of these things where... You know, I, I want to see the good in humanity, but I also see the dark in humanity. So what can we do to cultivate the good? That's really what I, I think we should strive for. Yeah, I know. But I just have this fear and just based on track records that, you know, it's all about profits and it's all about and it's all about the how efficient we can get. And even though they are providing a service, I mean, I wouldn't lie to say to you that Amazon, I'm not impressed with Amazon's delivery of, of, of product. Uh, when I ordered something on a plane on Thursday night and received it on a Friday morning at my doorstep. Amazing, awesome, love it, thank you very much. And I attribute that to their technological advancement in uh, logistics and delivering of products. And they're moving it even further. Now the FAA approved them to test drones, you know, the drone mm -hmm. delivery system this week. And that's all awesome, and I think it's great. But I just have this fear that that is the goal. And that ultimately, just like it happened in the, in the manufacturing being uh, moved offshore, that there's going to be people left behind. And when people get left behind and people get oppressed or, or they start to become oppressed and downtrodden and, and lose hope, then we have more social unrest and then we have more problems. So we have to start to think about the fact that if this is going to take place, how can we implement changes to nip that at the in the bud right and and to create programs too maybe it is like you said where it's re-education maybe it's taking the people from the the end user to somewhere in the middle that are managing these systems and that are taking control of this technology instead of just using the technology um, because that's really what's going to happen is that we're going to have to be able to wield it and to master it instead of being Instead of doing the job that it's going to replace, which is the repetitive jobs, the data-driven jobs, and, and, and the, the, the receiving of complaints through customer service and those type of jobs as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if ultimately we can change the system as much as we need to replace the system because all the solutions we propose, you know, there's all these limits on them that really stop their effectiveness and as fun as they are to float and think about I think what you promoted, which is a great idea which we both know will never happen which is profit sharing where when you think about it it's like okay what was the first thing we talked about they're eliminating all the jobs so a lot less people are going to share the profit yeah. and another thing I talked about well if you do something ethical then your competitor doesn't have to do it it might not be illegal so you do the ethical thing and you're like you know what? we're gonna do profit sharing we're going to give 10% of the profit to the business, to the employees, because they got us here. And you do that, and your board of investors says, you know what? So-and-so across the street, our main competitor, they don't do profit sharing. And they told us if we go in bed with them, 
they won't ever do it. They'll make sure it's in writing. And now they can undercut the costs of our current people we're, we're investing in. So all of a sudden, you kind of create that loophole where, once again, you're always incentivizing somebody who can legally but unethically take advantage of that to undercut the benefit of it. Well, so I was saying they can. I was saying that that companies do more of partnerships and creating new um, institutions in other markets and creating new innovation and providing new jobs that way. Like you were saying, like you know, how do you create new jobs? Well, we got to come up with new things to to new solutions for problems. I think we need to change. We just need to change the model. There's like this idea, like okay, the guy at the bottom earns. You know, 40k. The guy step above earns 50. The guy three steps earns 100. The guy at the top earns a million. The guy above him earns 100. We have this like pyramid tiered structure of earnings incomes, where we make very very subjective value judgments on what's deserving of money and in what value. I mean, a golden parachutes notwithstanding, CEOs as difficult as their jobs are. I don't know if their jobs 1,500 times as difficult as the janitors or something like that. So these are the questions we're really going to pose. And, you know, uh, we're going to wrap it up in a minute because this is just one of those topics, again, like we only wanted to talk about the technology yeah, it aspect. It just tails on for so long because, like, it really just talks about the entire business sector and economics in general. And then it starts to get into, uh, you know, social programs. And, and we're not advocating any, any side of social program. What we're saying is, is that what I was saying is, is that it's about creating new opportunity and new challenges and solving other problems and bringing people into the workforce and, and, and making them useful parts of society so we don't have the have and the have-nots and we don't have um, the, the makers and the takers. I'm, so, I'm, I'm with it, Matt. You know, it's going to take a paradigm shift. It's going to take us willing to, you know, try new ideas, not just talk about them like you and me are doing, but actually convince everybody and say, hey, you know, let's try this new model. And if it doesn't work, we can always go back to the old model, but we need to be willing to try something new. So I think as we innovate in technology, we also need to innovate in our thinking and our risk taking. Yeah. So I think, I think that's where I'm going to leave it today is just saying that, you know, there is hope. We do need to stay positive. There's a lot of like devil angel stuff going on on our shoulders all the time. Always let the angel on the shoulder went out over the devil. Hear the devil because there might be some truth in what he's saying, but always side with fun. But always side with the angel on the shoulder because you know you want to stay optimistic and stay positive, and uh, and that's the way I'm going to leave it. So I appreciate you sharing your thoughts today, Matt. It's always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, to doing this again soon. Material Devolution Episode Three, baby, in the books. Hell yeah, that was awesome. Give a shout out to our sponsors again. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Have fun, friends. Love you, ladies and gentlemen. Bye.